The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. Welcome to the Quirky Dog Podcast, inspired by some of the quirkiest dogs you can ever imagine and the owners who love them. This podcast is brought to you by the quirky couple themselves, Scott and Jess Williams. Their aim is to educate and entertain. Here's Scott and Jess. Welcome, guys, and happy Wednesday. We are coming to you live from Salem, New Hampshire. Quite the storm we had last night, huh? Coffee and nicotine. I'm ready to roll. Yeah, you got your tobacco going. Yeah, nice little uh, tropical front we had. Is that a nor'easter? Is that what that is? No, No. that wasn't a nor'easter. Well, I don't know. I'm new to the area. I don't know what the heck. But I will tell you that blew down my pot plants. I was very upset about it. (laughs) The the plants are getting too tall. They're taller than Scott, and now they have a lot of duct tape and a lot of um, zip ties. Zip ties on them. And then this morning I went out and got some bamboo stakes, and I think. I got it under control. They're going to recover. Pictures to follow. (laughs) Pictures and comments. Okay. uh, We have an episode today. We are going to talk about accommodating the dog. This is um, a big one for us, and it's not necessarily in your dog's best interest. What does that mean? What do you mean accommodating the dog? Well, we got to do the quirky tip of the day first. Good job. Okay. So um, this is mostly for our Massachusetts listeners. I wanted to bring some light to this issue. So there's a lot going on right now with police canines. Um, the verbiage and the <clears throat> words being used in the legislation being presented, um, should we call them attack dogs, everything else, actually the use of police canines still you know, being available in Massachusetts. So anyway, if you are living in Massachusetts and you're not aware of this issue, um, do some research on it, figure out your stance about it. The AKC and um, the Boston Police Department are actually coming together to try to work together to make sure that all of this goes in the direction that would be best. And our opinion is that it is best to have police canines out there. I'm not, well, is it about whether or not to have the dogs? That is one issue of it. And then also how you're framing the wording and everything else. So well, I have, the, do- the dogs have saved countless officers yes. lives. That's for damn sure. Yes. And, um, they've saved civilians and everything else. And a lot of these dogs are even dual purpose and stuff. And you know, they're searching for kids that are lost and drugs, and they're also attacking people. It so, reminds me kind of uh, in Schutzen, which is now IPO, but like 20 years ago, they they changed from attack or bite to grip. Yeah. It's a full grip. It's not a bite yeah, because so, that sounds too aggressive. So there's some similar stuff going on now, but um, there is legislation out there, and I have included in the description a bunch of um, emails for representatives and senators and everything in Massachusetts. So do your due diligence um, as a, your civic duty in Massachusetts and um, try to stand on this issue. And, Either uh, side you want to choose. No. Support law enforcement. Support police canines. That's the side we're on. We're, we're, on, we're dog people. We're on, we're on keeping okay. police canines. All right. So on to accommodating the dog. So my good friend, um, Nancy Drukas, always uses this word acquiesce. She always talks about acquiescing. And um, That's too big for me. I'm I know. Right now. Well, I said I wanted to label the episode <clears throat> acquiescing the dog, but I acquiesce. Couldn't even, I couldn't even spell it to find out the definition. <laughs> You couldn't spell diagonal this morning either. Um, the, the definition of that, though, is to accept something reluctantly but without protest. And that's not really what we're talking about doing here. We're talking about owners that are straight up accommodating their dogs. So um, this why, shows up in a bunch of different ways. Why wouldn't you do that? Don't well, you want your dog that, to be happy? That is true. Sometimes the dogs, the more you accommodate them, they can almost become a little resentful. We don't know what they're thinking, but it can be a slippery slope. So the way that this episode kind of came to be, we have this um, doodle in right now, and she's a very lovely puppy, but 
she's one of those dogs that when she's getting woken up at home, whether she's on the couch or something else, she can go into aggression. So now the family, to keep themselves safe and to not upset the dog too much, is actually taking the couch cushions and waking her up and pushing her off the couch with couch cushions. And um, she's literally a lovely puppy, like great drive, super sweet, everything else, but she has a little bit of character. So this is kind of how the or. Uh, the origin of this episode came to be. And we see this happening in a lot of different ways within our business. So we're going to chat about it here today. I think you should just give the dog the couch and back the (laughs) hell off. It's a doodle. You don't know what you're in for. Those doodles, they can go either way. Um, (laughs) But this is is just, it's a little bit mind-boggling. And I think throughout the past decade of doing dogs with Scott and how the whole culture is changing a little bit, we just see it more and more and more and more. So you know, the dog in bed is a great example. We talk about this sometimes. We have honestly had people say, you know, my husband gets up to pee in the middle of the night and the dog growls at him when he comes back. So he sleeps on the couch. That's accommodating the dog. And that's not necessarily helping the dynamic of the household. Um, a dog- well, I, would, I would even back up right to the beginning. The dog doesn't want to walk on a leash. The puppy will not walk on a leash. So you pick the dog up and carry the dog out into the yard. Or a lot of little dogs, they do it like that, yeah. you know, or the snow or something <clears> else. <throat> so, you know, there's countless examples, and we're going to go through um, a bunch of different ones, probably in about as much of a disorganized way as possible. But this is something that people are doing more and more and more. And some people would argue that parents are starting to accommodate the kids more and stuff too. So maybe it's a cultural thing, but it is to the detriment of the dog. And it's not that we don't want the dog to be happy and that we don't want to have the dog give the dog a good life. But it is to the dog's detriment if you're just running around constantly catering to that animal. Is it politically correct to accommodate the dog? That's what we need to establish <laughs> first in this, uh, in this climate. Being PC in 2020 is harder than anyone would have imagined. So um, um, what, what did you want to touch on with the obedience that, stuff? That what were you going to say? Of, uh, Black Labs Matter. Black Labs yeah. Matter, yep, yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> these cigars and my husband, I'm telling you, it's very concerning. So this is a good one, too. You talked about this with um, what the dog is eating. But a lot of people, the dog will bark, and basically the dog's bark triggers a meal like or a snack or well, something they're, they're, else. They're telling us it's time to eat, so you're supposed uh, to get off your ass true. and feed them. But these types of things, it's a slippery slope. You had mentioned with what they're eating, somebody doesn't like the kibble anymore, so now you're putting food toppers on. And, you know, the dog doesn't eat its whole meal when it's offered the meal. So now you're leaving the food out. Like all of these things, it's a very slippery slope. You're just doing one little small step of, oh, the dog barked once. He must be hungry. I looked at my watch. It is dinner time. I'm going to feed him. And now all of a sudden you're making a whole nine course meal to try to get the dog to just eat something out of its bowl. Half the time people say that the dog won't even eat out of a metal bowl. They need a plate or a specific, you know, dish or something to eat. So these are all little ways that it can compile. And then your behavioral issues are sometimes spillover from all this accommodation that you're giving. Is that the slippery slope we're talking about? Is that the end of the hill we well, slide to down me, to? To me, it's the dog barks to eat and now you're going to a nine course meal. So, you know, you've got to be careful of what you're doing and how you're doing it. A common one is a puppy cries in the morning and it's great. You know, it's a little baby puppy. You think, oh gosh, it has to go out. I don't want it to go to the bathroom and it's great. That's understandable. Puppies do need to go out more frequently than adult dogs and you want to be careful with water restriction and everything. When you get up to let that puppy out, Now, all of a sudden, every morning, it's triggering you to let it out. And then pretty soon, it doesn't want the crate anymore. The crate is too much. It can't be in the crate. And if it's potty trained, people say, the dog was potty trained. It was fine. The dog didn't like the crate anymore. The crate took too much room up in the house. There's a lot of different ways that you can phrase it in your mind. But if that does happen, where your puppy now barks in the morning... 
fine. The first time it happens, maybe you overslept, get up, let the puppy out. That next morning, set your alarm 15 minutes earlier than whatever time that puppy said, this is the time I got to do it. I got to get out. And you be proactive and you be ready to get up before the puppy makes noise. Because if that's the chain of uh, the reaction here where the dog barks, you get up, dog goes out, then all of a sudden the dog is starting to control the setting very early on in its life. And that is not a really a good family dynamic. <clears throat> I have a good one. Okay. Are we, is there any type of rhyme or reason to the... No, there never is because okay. you're here. And <clears throat> be careful with those. You've got to move your mic like oh. Ed said. He um, even took his Allegra D today. Did, I don't know what happened. I was doing a class uh, Sunday with a couple that they couldn't get their dog to leave the driveway of the property. The dog just put the brakes on, wouldn't move. And I said, well, show me some healing work in the driveway. And the gentleman was walking very quickly with his dog <laughs> so that it looked like the dog was walking beside him. But he was actually walking at the dog's speed so that the dog wasn't pulling on the leash. And I thought it looked pretty cool. So I told him, <laughs> do baby steps for me now so I can see if the dog actually will work you know, at your pace. And of course, the dog didn't. But he's trying... He was trying to make the dog look correct, and I can understand that. But again, it's accommodating the dog's gait and their walk. But the dog is not really paying attention to the owner at all. The dog is just booking down the street, and you're kind of hustling along beside him. Yeah, that happens a lot of times with people that can't walk the dogs, but they can run with their dogs. And then all of a sudden, now the dog is they're having to run faster than they've ever ran before on a run because they're trying to keep up with the dog. So these are these little adjustments that seem like nothing, but they start to spill over into all areas of the dog's life. Um, and I would say, I would add, that it's very natural to do, to do these things. And it, I think it is counterintuitive to actually counter everything the dog is doing to get them to work with you. And that's really what you need to do. If you are going to accommodate the dog, be conscious of it. Like, I accommodate my dog quite often. But I, I, I'm conscious that I'm making that choice of letting the dog do what he wants to do at that given time. What's That's, a good example of you accommodating the dog? I'd like to hear this. Um, I tell him to go in his crate and he runs and jumps on the bed and starts <laughs> digging in the covers and like takes all the blankets off the bed. <laughs> and I let it go because I think it's funny. I laugh. The dog knows I think it's funny. And I, I don't, you know, I'm not as strict with him. But the reason that I am less strict with him because is because his obedience is very good. And if I want to control the situation, I can control it whenever I want. So I'm making those decisions to acquiesce, in a sense, <laughs> <laughs> in, that, in that situation. I was thinking is a good that a one good would example? be. Yeah, I was thinking a good one would be in the morning when Jimmy oh, wakes gonna up. up. He's gonna, she's going to bring up a bunch of examples of my dog. No, I, mean, I just I thought can't. a good one because you're not really a part of that situation. You're just kind of letting that training go. But in the morning, Jimmy will roll over on his back and he puts his feet up, and we just rub his feet. One one person rubs each paw, and he gets that every morning. I trained him to do that. We accommodate. The, yeah, just like Scott <laughs> likes his feet done, so does Jimmy now. Yeah, but, it's like I get on the couch, I put my feet in your lap. What happens? <laughs> rub, rub, rub. So the one that happens a lot at our house with all of our dogs is we have two beds um, in the TV room and there's one bed in the corner. It was a $300 bed. It's the nicest dog thing I ever bought. So we and call we, it the $300. What were you going to say about I'm gonna, it? I would say that's the formal name of the yeah, bed. Yeah, we call the, it, the we three. say, no, get on $300. And then we have a Coranda next to it. So sometimes we'll tell the dog, hey, get on $300. And then the dog's on the Coranda and we just let that go. But we are accommodating the that's, dog there. It's a the great best way to thing... make a good way to make a Coranda look cheap. <laughs> you got 
Coranda is like 80 bucks for a dog bed. Put a $300 next to it. Now the Coranda is just like, get on the cheap one. But what Scott said, and it is really the main point here, is we're very conscious when we're making these little accommodations or these little concessions, even though we're not getting up and necessarily fluffing the dog's pillow on the bed that they chose to get on rather than the one that we told them to get on, we're conscious of it. And when you're unconsciously accommodating the dog, Pretty soon, your entire life is just running around to keep that dog quiet and to keep that dog happy and to let that dog in and out and in and out and in and out. You know, that's why people have dog doors. We had one client a few years ago, they just left the door open all summer long because the dog wanted to come in and out so frequently. So if you're now becoming almost a servant to the dog throughout the day or the waking hours that you and the dog are together, maybe it goes to daycare most of the day, but when you're home, you're basically you know, employed by the dog, that's becoming a little bit of an issue. And if you're seeing some behavioral issues pop up, it could likely be because you're accommodating that dog too much. Yeah. Those bells on hanging on the doors yeah. are great for that. Bitch, got to go out. Ring, ring, ring out. Okay. I saw the squirrel back in. Take a quick 10 minute nap, back out, ready to go. You know, this is, they're just, you know, like this is what the dog's doing. So you have to be conscious of how you're playing a part into this. And if it's, uh, negatively affecting your dog. And in our professional opinion, more often than not, the more you accommodate the dog, the more often it does negatively negatively affect the dog. They become more inconsolable because they're just constantly have you jumping around. They're never happy. They're miserable. It's like spoiled kids. You just got to beat their ass. (laughs) It's not true. That's not true. Or, or use electronics on Scott, kids if you Scott need to. Scott had a little bit of that you, in his childhood. You don't want to leave, he was fi- better. You leave physical damage he was to the child. they got to go to school. With his own kids. But it does become a thing where all of a sudden now the dog is seeming more inconsolable, like Scott said. This anxiety is developing. You're having to do more and more and more just to keep everything at bay. And that starts from all of these little examples that we're talking about here. So we're going to give you guys a bunch more examples after break. Uh, we're going to go to break real quick for Happy Howie's. Hey, uh, Ben, when I uh, when Scott sampled the Happy Howies a few weeks ago, I gave you a little bit to bring home to your dogs. Did they like it? <clears throat> it absolutely worked like a charm with Maggie and Milo. Well, certainly with Maggie it worked. Milo, I'm pretty sure he did a cactus if you put it in front of him, <laughs> but they went crazy they, for it. The dogs really do love this. And this is the big meat roll. We cut these up. We get the big size. We like the beef for um, the allergies, and we cut these up. Every time Scott goes to a training appointment, the dogs get the Happy Howies. So we'll see you after break, guys. Happy Howie's all-natural dog treats are made with real, slow-cooked beef, lamb, and turkey. Choose from deli-style sausages, wolf sticks, jerky, burger treats, and our soft meat roll treats. All of our treats are available in bulk or in convenient resealable packages. And dogs just love Happy Howie's. They are made in the USA and available at thousands of retailers nationwide. And online at happyhowies.com. Try Happy Howies today and save 10% with promo code QUIRKY10. Happy Howies. We're making it real. All right, guys. Jess would like me to read the quirky question of the week. And this is from Alejandra in Massachusetts. And she says, my dog isn't super friendly with other dogs. She is rather standoffish. What should we do? Jess? Well, I think our resounding answer of that is that's a great dog to have. And uh, don't make a dog make friends if it doesn't feel like it. 
Shouldn't all dogs play with other dogs? I don't understand. I mean, theoretically, you got- when there's rainbows and unicorns, but that you're getting two situations mostly where people are upset about the way the dogs act, and that's that the dog is too social. They're too excited to see playmates. They see a dog on the street. They want to go play with it. Or the dog's a bit of an ass when, you know, it's in, meets another dog. It's a little bit forward. It can be snappy and everything else. Maybe it's a fear response. The best offense is a good defense. You Wherever it comes the, from. Describing my friends there. Yeah. <laughs> but really, the bottom line is if your dog is kind of neutral, that is the best kind of dog to have. Our Terrier Bammer was like that. She died at 18 this past fall, but she was just such a neutral dog. Dogs would come up to her. She'd be like, you can go screw. I don't really want to deal with you right now. She didn't get aggressive. And she would play with the dog every now and then, probably Jimmy, I would say most often, maybe once a month, maybe four times a year, whatever, when she felt like it. But she was neutral and it was nice. It was easy. It was simple. She didn't get overly excited. She wasn't aggressive. And if your dog is a little bit standoffish, don't try to make, you know, this forced interaction happen. Be grateful well, for I it. Well, I think that's part of why she lived to 18. She conserved her energy. <laughs> she didn't waste it on other she's dogs. Just, she's just like you with the conserving well, energy. One thing I would say is that if you have a dog that isn't super friendly, but you have a, um, a friend that has a dog and you're going to get these two dogs together on a regular basis or, or you would like to, um, the one thing, you, you don't need to force the standoffish dog to be playful but you don't want the other dog to be obnoxious running and jumping on its head constantly and all that stuff. So you would have to put more of your focus and energy on the overly rambunctious, playful dog. Yeah, get that dog under control. Yeah, and then the standoffish one gets a chance to kind of get used to it. And uh, more often than not, they will. They are social, but they're just not, like they said in the thing, not real outgoing. Yeah. They need time and to warm up. Most of the time we tell owners this and they kind of get bummed out. Like, oh, I really wanted my dog to be friends with other dogs. But it's a good thing. If your dog is neutral and a little bit standoffish, let that be. If you need the dog to go to daycare, have it get an evaluation, see how it goes. But it's okay. It's just like some people. Scott isn't really a people person that much either. And he's a little standoffish. He likes them more when he smokes cigars. I love people, damn it. (laughs) But just be conscious of these little things. All right. And I, I would say also that a dog like that in a dog daycare situation may find a dog that matches its energy. You know, it's, it's, Maybe it snaps at the overly exuberant dogs, and they give the dog some space if they have any kind of uh, ability ability to read social cues. Yeah. But then they're going to find dogs that are more at their energy level, and, they and they'll just hang, hang out, out in the corner together. Yeah, so. they'll sit there beside each other, saying, "Look at all those friggin' idiots out there <laughs> running around." <laughs> they're the introverts of dog daycare, yeah. so don't be bummed if that's the situation. And our advice would be don't force it and actually be a little bit grateful. So Scott had to go and get a bunch of stuff for his plants this morning. So he has some notes on the phone and then I printed some stuff. I'm always working. On the clock. Yeah, well, the the plants, we were in an emergency state. Tell him what time I get up in the morning to take care of my... Five o'clock. He's out there for hours. Five a.m. I'm out there. He's out there for hours watering, talking to him, whatever the hell happens. So uh, we wanted to touch on some obedience stuff and how you can be accommodating the dog within the context of having the dog on a leash. So... A good one is, like you mentioned before, the dog doesn't want to walk on a leash, so people carry the dog. Yeah, they pick the dog up, and, and they don't that work works, the dog through that, that issue. That works until the dog's big and fat, and then the dog basically only goes on leash to have to go to the vet. Like, that's why, I swear to God, if you sit at a vet's office for, like, two hours and watch dogs come in, it is just it's terrifying to see dogs come in and their behavior and everything else, because a lot of dogs, that's the only outing that they get. That's the okay. only time that's well, there. let's stay on topic. I'm just saying that people then choose not to leash their dog. That is what they're doing. So they carry the dog until the dog is too big. And then they just say, oh, it's fine. He's just off leash. He goes out and in and they just don't put a leash in the dog. But then when you actually have to put a leash in the dog, it becomes a bit of an issue. 
So another one you mentioned um, was a dog that flips with, the, like does something with the sit when it's sitting. That's a good well, one. Well, there's a couple of things I've noticed doing the competitive obedience with people over the years. And a lot of people do this and they're not conscious of it. But ideally that dog, when you come to a stop, the dog should sit right in that heel position next to you. And people that do the obedience stuff know that. But quite often, for whatever reason, the dog will sit maybe a half a step behind the handler. And the handler, knowing that the dog should be beside them, will take a step backwards into that heel position so that it looks correct. But that's not helping make your dog correct. The dog is never going to sit in the right place if you instinctively step back into mm -hmm. that heel position. Or you know? the same thing. If you tell the dog to sit and it takes a few steps forward and then you just go and, okay, well, he's still next to me. You're starting <clears> to accommodate <throat> the dog there and that's going to slip a little bit. So you want to be conscious of that, you know, how you're responding to the sit. And then you were talking about, too, if the dog's cricket or flips well, around. Well, if, if there's a distraction, if you're healing past some other dogs, or it could be a squirrel in a tree. So you're just going to heal past that tree and you're, you know, the dog's looking over his shoulder while you're healing. And you come to a stop and you tell the dog to sit and the dog rotates 180 and sits looking at the squirrel. And then you turn and so that you're in the correct heel. And I've seen it, you know, more than once. Yeah. Because they know I'm supposed to be like the dog's supposed to be next to me. But that's just accommodating this dog's poor behavior, not paying attention to you. Or a lot of dogs, they have a history of sitting in front. You know, you're getting treats out of the fridge, whatever else. So when the dog hears sit, the dog thinks, I'm going to sit here in front of you because that's where the reinforcement zone is rather than sit next to you. So then if the dog sits like that, if it flips in front of you to sit, then sometimes people will feed there or they'll even run around and then get next to the dog and get into heel position again. So if you're doing some of these little things and your loose leash walking is maybe deteriorating a little bit, that could be because you're accommodating the dog too much. And then you and talked I, about actually uh, even walking diagonally too, you were saying. Yeah, I would say though, with regard to some of these obedience issues, the dog sitting you know, a half a step behind you or flipping into a front when you stop because of uh, pre-existing trained behavior in the kitchen type stuff. I'm not saying to correct that behavior, but I certainly wouldn't reinforce it with food or anything. I would just reestablish, like move forward and get the dog to sit correctly. And you can even a lot of times use a wall or something. And these sits are little minuscule things, but you know, people that think, well, no, obviously my dog is not growling at my husband and my husband's sleeping on the couch. And obviously I don't jump when my dog barks to you know, eat and get fed, some of these other little things may be happening and you may not realize it. And then all of a sudden you're accommodating more and more and more well, and goes, the walk's less pleasant. Yeah. And it goes back to the devils in the details saying, because that's what can get a dog to growl at you on the couch. You don't know why the heck this happened. It happened because of all these other little things the that other are happening everywhere all else. the time where the dog does whatever they want and they're able to do it and you accommodate them. Now they're growling. And you're like, where the hell did this come from? I don't, I don't understand. He's a great dog. I what love about, him. What about walking diagonally? He must have come from an abusive household. What about, we just had somebody call and tell us that sob story. Okay. Uh, what about walking diagonally? That's another good one. If the dog is yeah, kind if, the, if the dog tends to crowd you on the left side, kind of pushing you a little bit, pushing into your leg, if you're in a wide open area, quite often people will just start walking just a, just a little bit diagonally so that there's no pushing. But now the dog is actually keeping you <laughs> from walking you're straight. Actually, you're actually walking into the street, so into oncoming traffic. When like I used it, to, it becomes a little dangerous. When I trained in a, a parking lot of uh, one of the facilities we had, they painted the parking lines on the, on the pavement, which was great. Because I'd tell people, follow these lines, do your, do your left as soon as you get to the corner of those white painted lines. And it was more challenging because people now had to adhere to these straight lines. Yeah. A common one too, and you were guilty of this before we met, is I dogs... I was guilty of a lot before I met you. <laughs> now he's perfect. Dogs peeing on leash. That's a big one. A lot of dogs don't... Oh, no, they mark 
all the time on leash. Well, they may not even do that, but you yeah. would do that. You were classic. I mean, literally, well, I don't even know if you're better. I just make your you dogs know, better. My, but when you trial, I make the dogs go to the bathroom on a leash. It's very easy if you have good control of a dog to just let it go in the woods to pee or something else. But if you're never having the dog potty on leash, then like we fly our dogs sometimes when you're in a tight spot and you need the dog true. to go to the bathroom on leash, then they're like, well, I don't go to the bathroom on leash. I don't have to do this. I'm guilty of that because I had such good off leash control. <laughs> I would always, my dog had to pee, I'd take the leash off and say, go, go friggin' pee on a tree. But it's an important one, and you may not think that you need it, and it's a great skill to teach a puppy. We talk about this um, in our How to Calm Your Canine course. It's a great skill to teach a puppy to pee on a leash, because even though you have a yard, then before you go to the vet, or if you're taking a long road trip, nobody's flying anymore, you take a road trip with your dog, you need to pee at a rest stop, it's used to going. You're not going to let the dog off leash at the rest stop and be like... Oh, whatever. I hope it'll be safe. He has to go to the bathroom. Yeah. And you don't then, want to come home a day and a half later because your dog hasn't peed yet. And you're like, shit, we got to get home. The that happened. My days. mom came to visit me from Colorado to Michigan 17 hours. Her dog didn't pee. That's a long time. I mean, dogs, she didn't have a medical problem, but she didn't want to go on leash. She waited until she got to my house and peed off leash. Another one you were saying is if they don't pee outdoors. Yeah, a lot of dogs, they, they won't pee outdoors. And, um, but now, maybe, now it's not even about a leash. Now it's just about being outside. It could be weather-related. It could be just that they were brought up on pee pads, a young dog that now is, doesn't want to pee outside because it's waiting to get back on its pee pads. Tell them the story about the lady with the pee pads. I always loved that story. Well, I had one lady in uh, California that the dog was always peeing just a little bit off to the side of the pee pad. So she'd put two or three down. And by the time I got to her house, there were pee pads up and down the hallways. <laughs> they were everywhere. And it, was she like said, her, it was like her flooring decoration. Yeah, and the dog wouldn't pee on the pad. She kept adding more and more pads. And uh, I took the dog really for potty training. And that dog was outdoors with me or in a crate for two and a half days before it peed outdoors. It was either you pee outside, and I worked with the dog outside for hours and kept the dog outdoors. The weather was decent. Or in a crate, and it wasn't until the third day that that dog then finally just let go and peed. And then after that, it was no problem. Yeah, and sometimes even people say, oh, well, my dog's little, it's snowy out, you know, he doesn't want to go out in the snow. I get that, but they sell sweaters, shovel, and if you choose to let your dog go to the bathroom in the house, that's fine, but they at least should go outside in the cold if you present that opportunity. You just want them to be dealing. So or it's another way to accommodate the dog. You can train the dog to go in the bathtub like your friend did. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. I do know of someone that at a hotel put the puppy in the bathtub for urinating in the morning rather than walking downstairs. Whatever, to each his own. Um <laughs> One thing, though, and like you can you can bathe them in the hot tub. <laughs> a, we have a lot of dog stories. We have we have we have more shit on competitive dog people and dog professionals probably than even pet dog people. You're gonna get us bumped off YouTube now with that kind of language. <laughs> now we got to put that thing. For, no kids can watch this podcast. Yeah, exactly. Everything's being censored nowadays. And then you talked about the dog. Like we we're talking about this cute puppy, right? So it's aggressive on the couch. You want to get the dog off the couch. You're pushing it off with a cushion. Some people just go sit somewhere else. Yeah, well, why create all that conflict with your dog? I mean, if the dog wants the couch, let him sleep on the couch. And some of this may sound crazy to you guys, but this stuff happens. We hear this stuff. We see this stuff. I have this little puppy. I love this little puppy. It's great. The The owner's literally moving it off the couch with a couch cushion because it's afraid that it's going to get attacked. I mean, this isn't okay. This is accommodating the dog to the point where now all of a sudden your dog is just running the show, you're jumping through hoops, nobody in the household is happy, and you have an anxious, barking, baby potty training issue mess. And that's not what you want to have yeah, what when really you own sucks. a dog. Yeah, what really is a bummer is when you take a dog that has no 
genetic predisposition towards aggression at all. And, know, make, like it, a and nice, make it dangerous. <laughs> a well-bred golden retriever that is now biting people. That is just ridiculous. And that's what it can get to. It's crazy that you can take a dog that would never be aggressive under any situation and turn it into an anxious, fear-aggressive, reactive mess. And you may say, oh, that's not possible. A doodle's not going to be aggressive. There was a dog very much like this dog that we had at our facility in Salisbury. Scott was doing an eval with the dog. It was eating. It was happy. It was a freaking nice dog. I'm like, wow, that dog's great. Came in for board and train. Had some aggression. Was a dick with the dryer. But besides that, it was okay. When it went home, the dog was really nasty to the family. So then we got on the phone with the breeder. We told the breeder everything about how it would work. The dog was going back to the breeder. That we said, you know, it, it just needs structure, everything else. Within a day, the breeder calls us. My son was playing tug with the dog, and it was loose in the living room, and he got aggressive, and I've never seen this before. Well, yeah, we said put the dog in a friggin' crate. Like, the dog needs structure. So while you say, like, oh, that can't happen, and that's a genetic issue, no, you can build dogs up. I think of uh, Brutus, too, that Bernie's Mountain Dog, who showed a little aggression with the groomer. He had, like, a paw that was hurt or something at some point. Scott brought the dog to our house. He was in the back of my rendezvous. I said, he has a brain tumor. I said, I've never seen a Bernese mountain dog that aggressive, but it was this learned behavior of like, I snapped once at the groomer or the vet because my foot hurt. And now all of a sudden I'm just an ass to everybody. And this unravels quickly, quicker than you would even imagine. I'm speechless. (laughs) Just be (laughs) conscious of how you are accommodating your dog. And if you are accommodating your dog, I always think of when you talk about uh, snowball, like snowball growled one time at the kids and your dad just snowball was my childhood dog. (laughs) God rest her soul. He might get teary now. No, but she was a Samoyed, uh, white. Samoyed. I don't know why you say it like that. Samoyed. What did I say? Samoyed. You always say it's so weird. Oh, if I was raised in the Midwest, I'd probably say it differently. (laughs) But anyway, what she was underneath the dining room table. She was probably about nine months old, chewing on a bone. And I was about seven and I went under there to sit with her. God knows what I was thinking. And, uh, she growled at me and I got up and went, ran and told my dad, Hey dad, the dog growled at me. And he just went right in there and moved a chair out of the way, went down and grabbed her by the collar and swatted her on the nose a couple times. And she slept outside. She never did it again. She slept outside. And we're not saying that's how you should address that we, situation. We made her sleep on the highway. <laughs> <laughs> no, she had a long, happy life yeah. until you had to go do the, the bad deed for your family. Yeah. But Nowadays, if you tell someone to slap their dog on the nose, you'd probably get arrested. We're not even Animal advocating. Cruelty. We're not even advocating to go that route. But nowadays, people are accommodating the dog. Give the dog more space. Give the dog more with the kids. Don't stay away from the dog. The dog's upset. Like it's just such a change in culture and the way that we're dealing with things. And this little small accommodation all of a sudden can grow into you live for the dog. You solely live to keep the dog happy. And the dog actually isn't happy when you're doing that. So be very conscious of all these little choices. I think the aggression is probably lower on the end result. Uh, The anxiety is more what you see and and how that manifests itself is a lot of vocalization. So you have a dog that... A lot of stress, a lot of not being able to settle down. If you're not accommodating this dog in some way, it's being so vocal that it's forcing you to to deal with it. Or it's it's doing bad stuff. We had a client, they said that when they were going to go out to go to dinner, the dog would go into a drawer and take out all the clothes out of the drawer and jump in the drawer. Like, this is a real story. The dog, like, knew the people were leaving, didn't want the people to leave, so it went and pulled all its shit out of the drawer and sat in the drawer. Well, clearly... I would just close the drawer and go to <laughs> go to dinner. <laughs> I think it was a little too big for that. But clearly, then, that did delay your dinner plans. Now you're dealing with messing with the dog. So 
when you have these little situations that pop up, if you feel like, huh, maybe I am accommodating the dog and maybe I should do this different, shoot us an email, uh, studio at thecorgydog.com. We can give you some tips. We didn't give you solutions for all of these situations, but it's just happening more and more and more and more. And the more we accommodate, the worse off dogs are, the more medication we're giving dogs, the more dogs that are getting sent to shelters. It's just not a good long-term plan. And uh, we just actually re-released our How to Calm Your Canine program too. So if you want to go to howtocalmyourcanine.com, it's at a super low price because I know everybody's dealing with all this COVID financial fallout and everything. Um, And that's our anxiety course. And it walks you through some of these basic things. Pottying on leash is one of those things. Getting a dog in the crate, it's one of those things. And there's some stuff for you in there too with meditating and journaling and everything else. There's a lot of good stuff in there. I just, uh, I don't want to wrap this up too quick, but that getting the dog to potty on leash in that course, we took a dog that had this issue that wouldn't pee on a leash. Just took the dog out. I videotaped the dog. The dog wouldn't pee. We were out there for 20 minutes. And we took the dog back in, put the dog in a crate, came out an hour later and waited. And then within five minutes, it peed. And then it was we all sped, set. We sped up some of that 20 minutes. So it's not well, me we, out there for a full 20. We, Don't worry. We sped but, it up, but these the, little things are more interrelated with the big things than you would ever, ever realize. So think about it. Uh, next week, we are going to do an episode exclusively on loose leash walking. I would say that's our A number one problem with clients and how to deal with it. Uh, You know where to find us if you need us. And in the meantime, keep it quirky. And check out those emails in the links below, especially if you live in Massachusetts. Thanks, guys. Let me have it. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.